Hey there folks, this is Rob Woods and welcome to episode 9 of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. This is the show for anyone who works in charity fundraising and who wants ideas and inspiration for how to enjoy their job, raise more money and make a bigger difference. And on this episode, if you have a nagging feeling you should be doing something about developing your career, either because you sense you just need to make a change or because you don't know what you want to be doing in your next job, or because you really struggle to make time for personal development to help you feel more qualified to apply for a future job, then you're going to find this session both encouraging and also practical. Because today I'm talking to the fabulous Liz Tate, who's now Director of Fundraising at Teenage Cancer Trust, and who has also served as Chair of the Institute of Fundraising National Convention Board. It was no accident that she found herself playing this role that's so important to the professional development of so many fundraisers, as it was a logical extra step in a career in which Liz has spent a great deal of time and energy working not only on her own skills and development, but also on generously doing things to help other people make progress. When it comes to the theory and practice of self-development and career development, Liz really walks the walk. And so I was thrilled that she was able to join me to share the tactics that have helped her in her own career and which she has shared with lots of other fundraisers along the way. This session includes tactics for how to get ideas for your best career direction, even and especially when you feel stuck as to what that might be. It includes ways you can increase your motivation to actually make time for activities outside of your day-to-day -day job that will improve your skills and confidence to land your dream job and it includes advice to help you go after a job that you will really enjoy, as distinct from something that you might happen to be good at, but which doesn't make your heart sing. Over the last few years, I count myself very fortunate to have interviewed Liz on several different occasions, and every time I've finished those conversations, both helped by her wisdom and encouraged by her warmth and by her example of what is possible when you put your mind to something. For me, this conversation was no exception, and I hope you find it as helpful as I did. This episode of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast is brought to you by the Bright Spot Members Club. As a practical alternative to one-off conferences and courses whose impact can fade all too quickly, the Members Club is an online resource that gives you ongoing access to a whole library of video training courses, monthly coaching webinars and live training events. It's all designed to help you learn, enjoy your job and raise more money. To join the 300 fundraisers already in the club, or just to find out more, go to brightspotfundraising.co.uk. Just one more thing. When I listened back to this episode, I discovered there was a glitch in how the recording was working at my end, which means that there are times when the sound quality when I'm talking gets a bit distorted. We did our best to make this clearer in the edit, but it's still a bit jumpy in places. But I do hope that you can nevertheless make out what I'm saying when it does happen. Anyway, I decided to get the interview out there sound imperfections and all, because I really want you to hear what Liz has to share. And I'm delighted to say that whenever Liz is talking, the sound quality is nice and clear. Hello, Liz. Welcome to the podcast. Hi there, Rob. I'm pleased to be here. Good. So, um, Liz, I, I, we, we've had various chats over the years that have really helped me. And um, uh, you, the last time I, I think I interviewed you, you were at Battersea Dogs and Cats Home, but you're now at Teenage Cancer Trust. Is that right? How long have you been there? I am. I'm coming up to my first year at Teenage Cancer Trust, and it's been a really fantastic journey so far. Really brilliant, vibrant organisation with bags of ambition. So it suits me well. Great. Um, 
in today's interview, I, I wanted to get your advice to do with uh, the bigger picture of man managing a fundraiser's career or someone's got, um, you know, they're not sure whether they're staying in the one job for too long or if they would at some point like to reach director level, various things you've learned along the way. Because I know sometimes you said people um, come and ask you for advice. So I'd, I'd just like for, for our listeners to, to get a sense of some of the things you've picked up along the way. But just as a way of leading into that, um, do you want to give me a, a tiny snapshot of, of your journey so far? Sure. So actually this year I've been a fundraiser for 20 years. So I went straight from university doing a marketing degree and knew that that was what I wanted um, to do um, and was very passionate and very lucky to land my first job actually at a charity called Plan International when I was almost 21. So I started young and really feel so privileged to have worked in a sector where most days it doesn't feel like work and it's incredibly rewarding. I also feel very lucky to work with some brilliant people and for some brilliant people. And I think that it's often the people you work for and with that really enable you in, in your career. So I've got a lot of people that I have to thank um, for the progression that I've made in my career. But at a time that was really formative for me was when I was at, at the Red Cross. Um, and I look back now and still remember it with a huge amount of fondness. It was an amazing time. To be there working for Mark Astorita when he was their fundraising director and he put an awful lot of faith in me as a 25-year-old coming in to manage a, a team uh, that was overseeing an investment in direct marketing at that time. So it was, it was my dream job and I was very lucky. But what I learned uh, towards the end of my time at the Red Cross was just how much you can do to take control of your own career and your own progression. So it was almost 10 years into my career where I had a bit of a light bulb moment and began to understand what I was capable of, but equally what I could do to influence um, what I did in, in the future. And I think it's important for me to share that um, I decided at that time that I wanted to work towards a director of fundraising role but then planned that for 18 months before I even went to an interview. And the Red Cross were incredibly supportive in, in that time to enable me to get the experience and the professional development uh, to take the step up. And I don't think that organisations, charities or indeed companies were good enough at creating our own plans. We often have something tagged on to the end of an appraisal, our PDP, where we tend to kind of list one or two training courses that we might want to go on next year or a breakfast club with Rob Woods that we might want to attend. But we don't often, um, and I think as managers, we're often guilty of this think beyond those formal training opportunities. So, I mean, I can talk a bit more later if it's helpful about the kind of steps I took. But it was it was that time and, and that planning and that support I had that enabled me to go from being a specialist fundraiser in direct marketing mm -hmm. to a generalist um, fundraiser into a more senior role. And then I moved on to Battersea and was there for eight years. Eight very, very happy, very fun years that were also um, with a lot of hard graph featured in there too but um, I really am grateful for the time I had there and the opportunity I had to create a whole new new fundraising team 
and programme. And I guess it was doing that director of fundraising role at Battersea that's enabled me to take on this great gig now at Teenage Cancer Trust and to be in another brilliant organisation with with big um, plans ahead. So that's kind of a, a bit of background, but happy to talk more. Mm, thank you very much, Liz. One thing that I find really interesting is that notion of light bulb moment, in particular, the the one where as a hardworking fundraiser, we're just doing the day to day as well as we can. We might be aware of some things we're good at and better than we used to be, but we're also always aware of you know some of our frailties, and and I think very often a, a person can can be unaware of just how well they're doing and and how high their potential might be. So um, could you think back or offer any views on what it was that helped you? kind of think differently and think bigger and, and dare to believe to, to really go go for a, a more senior trajectory? Yeah, well, I think that it comes back to the people that I worked with who almost forced me to think about it and encouraged me to do that, um, which was a great, great starting point. You know, Mark Astorita was quite clear to me that he would have been disappointed if I don't, didn't go for something <laughs> at a more senior level, at a time when I didn't really even think that was um, an option. And at the Red Cross, I then went forward to a programme that they had at the time. They were investing in a talent programme for the first time, and I was lucky to be on that. And um, that made me think differently because I was suddenly on a programme where they were investing time and energy in me, but they also expected me to do things as well. Um, so the guy who was running that that program, he only had eight of us. So he would pop up quite regularly at the end of my desk and ask me what I was doing in terms of my development. Mm. So I suddenly had someone who was holding me to account. And you know, when time gets busy as fundraisers, we're always busy. There's always more we can do. The days, the weeks zip by. And it's very, very easy to do nothing or to um, not plan to do anything around your personal development or to do things by chance or to go on one or two short training courses but suddenly I had someone saying what are you going to do who was also making me write it down reflect on it and plan what I was going to do next Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that um, was really helpful and it made me realize that having someone holding to account was really important equally taking the time to to plan and to do around personal development was also really important and to enable me to fulfill my responsibility to this guy called John I would block out Monday evenings in my diary that was the time I was right this is personal development time (laughs) and uh, it didn't stop me doing things other times too but that was the time where each week I would sit back and and plan what was coming next was it was I going to go meet with a buddy next week connect with a new mentor was I going to get involved in another project or was I going to do some shadowing of someone else in another area of fundraising? So I had that time set aside. And when time is precious, I think if you're serious about it, you do need to, to commit the time to it and put that, that time aside. And to put the time aside, not just for the big things, but for the, all of the, the small actions that when you take them, add up to something much greater and more significant Mm. and what I would find was one thing would often lead to the next so if I shadowed someone on a certain project or I met with a certain mentor or a buddy 
it would often make me think slightly differently about something or it would make me think about okay the next thing that I would find really useful would, would be this so it, at the time it became quite organic quite quickly and enabled me to gain quite a lot of momentum around my personal development and I'm ashamed to say it's not a practice that I continue to this day in the way that I would like to. But that's, you know, again, life has got even fuller with, with children. But it's certainly something that I would advocate if um, people are thinking about how do I move on in my career? What is it that I want to, to do next? Mm. So um, if the listeners are thinking, well, that that's nice, Liz. Your charity had a, a deliberate programme Mm-hmm. so that clearly did make it so much easier because it there was a structure and even if there were days when one didn't instinctively have the time or the willpower that structure just forced something to happen and some time to be spent yeah. there but even if not at its simplest one key bit of advice I, I hear you're saying is just schedule some regular time once a week or once a fortnight yeah. you, know, you know in an evening or in a in a coffee shop for 45 minutes Take, take one particular notebook each time in which you track what you have been doing and how that's going and what mm-hmm. you might learn from it and what the other things are in your plan that you haven't got round to yet, but you, you might like to. So that sounds very doable, but only if we're, we're really serious. It's not going to happen unless actually we've decided on a particular direction we'd like to go in. Absolutely. You know, I fundamentally believe it's about personal responsibility. And actually, most of us can take those steps at any one time, even if you don't have the equivalent of John popping up at the end of your desk. You know, we've all got friends or family members or colleagues who can help hold us to account. And we can potentially have a role in, in doing that for others, too. So I think that so much of what we can do around our personal development is reliant on ourselves and not not other people. So we shouldn't wait for others to create those opportunities. There's a lot that we can can do ourselves to create opportunities to learn. Yeah. Well, although I think it is really interesting, the lesson you learned, you were on the receiving end of of a colleague telling you something that you on your own may not have done or has done as quickly. Yeah. And and that's a really useful thing to the listeners who are managers, who are who are leaders of just what a difference that can make to others, to your colleagues and to the sector. Would you just speak to that idea momentarily when it's the the, other, the, the shoe is on the other foot of, of what you've learned to do as a leader in, in help, you know, giving that slightly more directive and, and challenging feedback and encouragement to people in your teams? Sure. Well, I think as a starting point, as, as managers and leaders, we need to understand the individuals and what it is that, motivates them and what career progression means to them because often when we think about it we think it means upwards progression and we think it means kind of bigger job title bigger pay um, those kinds of things whereas to me what I've learned over the years is for different people it means different things so as a starting point when I, I'm talking to someone that I work with, whether they're a direct report or, or not about career progression, I ask, often ask them to do an exercise that, that I had to do kind of 10 years ago as part of the, the programme. And it was an exercise that really helped me identify what, where I wanted to go. And it was really simple. I was asked to go away and find five job descriptions 
five job descriptions of jobs that really caught my eye, things that I thought, yes, that's the kind of thing I would like to do next. And the one rule was to not rule things out or to not rule yourself out of things. So you could go away and look for look at jobs that you would usually have said, no, I haven't got the experience to do that or that's not for me. So as a first step, taking away that restriction that I would usually put on myself, I went away and I came back with five job descriptions that were pretty much identical. They're all director of fundraising jobs. So that was quite a clear answer for me in terms of what I wanted to do next and what I wanted to aspire to. Do you think the act of being forced to do the, the legwork of that research at some level brought you greater clarity that that was what you wanted? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely did. Because previously I would have looked at those person specs and thought, oh, well, I haven't got that experience or I haven't done this. I don't know that. And I wouldn't have taken it seriously. And I think that was the next stage of the exercise then was to plot out, well, if that's what you want to aspire to, and this is what's in the person spec, how do you um, make sure you're best placed to apply for those kind of roles? So what are your gaps and how do we go about filling them? And that's quite a simple but powerful exercise, again, that any of us can do at any time. And it's something I've done quite a lot with people over the years. And often I've found that uh, people come back with five different job descriptions. So it doesn't always you know, give clarity in terms of what next, but it can sometimes lead to then discussions about a more exploratory approach to CPD or continuous professional development. Because if that exercise identifies there are a few areas that really get you excited, you can then design your own uh, development plan around really understanding those different disciplines or those different career paths and and really um, exploring whether they would be right for you or not. So I think I've always found that to be a really useful exercise. Even if it doesn't give a really clear answer, it gives a pathway for a, a development plan. So that's something that I would encourage managers um, to do, to begin to understand their people and what's so, right for them. So thank you, Liz. Um, if I could interject there, there's a couple of things I really like about that. Number one, we're just doing this as an exercise, as research, rather than, oh, dear, I need a new job. Look at yeah. look at the research. Oh, no, I can't. Not qualified for any of those. All right. I'll just go back to what I was doing, which Absolutely. Um, so it's a it's a look into the future way of doing it. But then crucially, what I love about it, the question is not what are you able to do? It's what what would you love to do? Yeah. And quite deliberately switch off the judging bit of our brain, which says, don't be a fool. You can't do that. You've never you've yeah. never managed corporate fundraising before. So quite deliberately doing the exercise in that way allows a, a person often to get greater clarity on what they want. And then you can do the gap filling for what we might do to help us get there. Yeah. Um, but but also that I think the other thing about it is I, I sense not only clarity, but also it might evoke more pull motivation, kind of being inspired to the dream of what you do want rather than push motivation, which only lasts so far of trying to, to get out of what you don't want. So if, if it can ignite that spark of inspiration, uh, I think it, it's a really surprisingly simple 
tactic that can do those helpful things? I think so. And, and when I say that I planned for 18 months to move into a director of fundraising role, it was that process that started it. Because I could then see exactly what my gaps were and what I learned was I would be best placed to go for a director role if I had three examples against each kind of element of the person's spec. So it doesn't mean that I had to have done corporate fundraising personally, but if there were different insights or different examples I could draw upon as part of an interview, that would enable me to have confidence. So a lot of the process was about confidence building I think at the time and again I don't think you need to be in a big organization with a a shiny program to enable you to to do that so if you're really serious about it you can do that with yourself and and with the support of others around you and yes and it 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 seems like so much of it is more likely to happen if you can get just one person at the very least one person who can be your partner in crime they yeah. might, might be a former colleague who you always got on well. I mean, they might be a, a paid coach, but but more likely it's just some kind of formal or informal buddy or mentor who you can have some of these conversations with. A, for a little extra accountability, because after you ask them to help you, you know, probably you, you don't want to let, let them down for being willing to help. But B, just for that outside perspective, because very often... Uh, I think we we might overthink our weaknesses and not see our potential. Yeah, yeah. And someone who knows yeah, yeah. us well, I mean, they might always be right, but the, the, I think it's much more likely that they can see the wood for the trees in our potential that we necessarily can always do ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. I'd agree with that. And I think it's also important to stress that um, career progression should be planned based on what's going to make you happy. And what's going to really enable you to do something you you love every day and is going to give you that great feeling um, at the end of the day and get helps you get out of bed in the morning and go to to work fired up. And I think what I've learned over the years, particularly working with others around their uh, career development, is that it's not always about upward progression. Sometimes it's about doing something else in entirely, or sometimes it's about a lateral move. Sometimes it's about accepting, I love what I do and I don't want to move up. I might want to do it for a different organization, but actually I'm really happy. So I wouldn't want anyone to listen to this and uh, think that it's all about upwards movement. I think what I'm advocating is thinking about your career and professional development based on what's going to make you really happy and enable you to fulfill your potential yeah and um i really like that distinction between what what you really enjoy doing compared to what you're good at because many of us you know people in the charity sector we, we work hard and we could have achieved a, a really good level of competency in something because we just had to and we didn't want to let the organization mm. down um and so we 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 could fall into the trap of assuming that that's because I'm now good at it and my colleagues tell me I'm good at it that means what I should do next and I really love that example uh, I've forgotten the author's name but, but he tells the story of a concert pianist who just felt a bit flat with everything including her job and uh, through a conversation with her mum or a friend did this kind of thinking you're talking about and went and studied to be an accountant I became an accountant I was much happier as an accountant than a pianist 
<laughs> I love that example precisely because it confounds <laughs> some of what we expect is that, uh, that ultimately is it meeting your needs is it you know we yeah. all have a personal psychology of what makes us tick and what makes our heart sing and and for that person piano playing outstanding though she was was not it but the, yeah. kind of it, but do, doing the various disciplines of, of of order and and system and process of accountancy really did so um, yeah. it's a really helpful distinction, I think, of, of, of what would make your heart sing rather than what are you yeah. good at. Absolutely. And I think that it's so important to take time to think about that. And I often do an exercise with people called what's important to you. I'm sure you can find it if you Google it. Um, but it's essentially going through different factors that influence your satisfaction at work. And I think it helps you identify what are the most important things about the next role that you go for? Um, when I was at the Red Cross, the most important things I identified were the person I was going to work for actually was really important. Um, and equally being able to be involved in something that was about making big change and delivering real growth. So I decided they were the most two, the two most important factors to me, more important than size of team salary those kind of factors so it's key to take the time to think about what are those two or three things that will make you unhappy if they're not there or indeed really happy if they are and you know a real reality for me thinking about moving on to Battersea those two factors didn't change actually it was still those two things that were really important but layered on top of that was the ability to make work work with my personal life and my family life was kind of a third um, dimension that's come in more recently. But I would suggest that when you're planning your next move to, to take the time to think about that too, because there are so many different things that make you thrive or make you happy in a job, not just the job title or the role. A lot of other factors come into play. And do you have any thoughts about, you know, obviously there's all sorts of tactics one could do to try and get those experience in certain areas to, to fill in the gaps could you talk a little about what what has worked for you or advice for us in in realizing what various options we've got to get better at a thing that currently isn't in our role sure well I mean I'm a big believer in uh, being a yes person and for pushing yourself forward and just saying yeah I'll take that piece of work on or, or I'll do xyz but also for volunteering within the sector I think that that's been a big part of my life for the last 10 years and undoubtedly helped me understand the charity sector better, which therefore enables me to do a better job. So I would encourage people to think about the volunteering opportunities that are out there within our sector, to think about um, getting involved with other charities, being a trustee, to really understand um, good governance and, and fundraising at different organisations to give you a different kind of view on on the world um and i would also really encourage um making as many connections in the sector as you can so i get a lot of advice and strength and joy from meeting with others be they other fundraising directors consultants people at other levels within the profession who, who have different backgrounds so i'm a big believer in finding mentors and buddies wherever you can and taking the time to meet with people who want to draw on your support and seek your advice as well. I think you often learn just as much from them. So dedicating the time to that, I think, is really important. And um, something I did at Battersea was I would 
at least once a week uh, say yes to meeting with another fundraiser. And I always got more from it um, than I'm sure they got from meeting with me. But yeah, making the time for those coffees, I know it could be really hard when there's a lot to be done, um, but undoubtedly you will find it's time well spent. Because mm, so, so often what we get from any of these tactics that's most valuable is what we expected. We, we go for the coffee for one reason, for instance, to help. Uh, yeah. or, or we get we um, get involved in a particular volunteer group or whatever for for one reason, and then then yeah. actually we leave with something that's far more valuable than than what what we expected to, to the reason we expected to be doing it for. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to talk on and on, Liz, but I, I think we should wrap up this section of the interview fairly soon. But I guess my last question is is maybe something you've already covered and you want to go into more depth or just something brand new but if you were advising the Liz of 10 or 15 years ago about any other element to to do with making the most of and nudging on in in a helpful direction our career is there any other idea or advice you think that that Liz would have benefited from hearing? I think certainly um, it's important to encourage yourself don't just um, wait for others to encourage you so don't uh, let other people's expectations of you restrict um, what you do. Don't let other people tell you you can't do something or actually it'd be better for you to to take a, another step in your career or to go into a similar role. Really take the time to think about what's right for you. We spend a lot of our time at work. Work is a big feature of our lives. So to help you make the right choices about your career and, and where you work, you need to put Put the time in and don't limit your ambitions just to seek relentlessly what um you are going to love and as you say what's going to make your heart sing mm. uh, fantastic advice Th- thank you liz fantastic advice liz thank you so much so we we need to finish this interview fairly soon um already i I hope your your ideas will have given people really good food for thought and maybe a little inspiration to take things in the direction they want to go in if people wanted to follow up with you, what's your Twitter name? So my Twitter name is Liz Tate, or one word. And Tate is T-A-I-T. Brilliant. So, uh, Liz, thank you so much for making time for this call, for all your ideas and advice. Uh, I look forward to catching up with you soon for another interview. But for now, thank you. Goodbye. Thanks so much, Rob. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed Liz's ideas about how you can work out where you want to get to, as well as her tips to help you do what it takes to get that job you'll love. If you'd like to see a summary of these ideas, do check out the episode notes on the blog and podcast section of our Brightspot fundraising website. And if you found today's episode helpful, please do leave us a review and share it with other people so that these sessions can reach and help more and more fundraisers. In case you're curious about any of the fundraising courses we offer, be it the in-house training days or our one-to-one coaching or the mastery programs in major gifts or corporate partnerships, then again, all that information is on brightspotfundraising.co.uk. Finally, and most importantly, thank you so much for making time for your own professional development by tuning in to listen to this podcast. I look forward to the next episode when we'll be sharing more ideas and bright spot stories to help you raise more money enjoy your job and make a bigger difference.